Hey, welcome to the Night Church Podcast. My name is Philip, and I am so excited for what you're about to listen to. These are sermons and presentations by young adults and for young adults. If you're visiting in the area, we hope that you join us for Night Church on Friday nights. Or if you're a regular here in Loma Linda, I hope that you'll share this sermon with someone that you love and care about. Now, for the sermon. Do you guys remember the Oscars in 2022? I think everyone remembers it because of one particular event that happened between Chris Rock and Will Smith. I see you going like this. Does that ring a bell? Well, let's relive this moment together, shall we? Chris Rock was hosting on stage. He makes a pretty lame joke about Jada Pinkett Smith being the next G.I. Jane. And Jada's husband, Will Smith, in his personal fury for revenge, went on stage and slapped the living daylights out of Chris Rock. And we didn't realize it was a joke until Will goes back to his seat and starts yelling, keep my wife's name out of your bleep mouth. And it stunned the academy, the audience, and the world. And later, Will said, that he was doing this to protect his wife. And the irony is, is that Will Smith won Best Actor later that evening for King Richard and apologized to the Academy for his actions, saying, love makes you do crazy things. And saying that still doesn't seem fair to Chris Rock, nor does it sit right with us as audience members. You can't just go up to someone, publicly slap them, and then say you're doing it for love. From that day on, the internet was filled with memes of the incident, and social media canceled Will Smith, which, to be fair, that's fair, right? He did something that no one else would do. Like, can you imagine coming on stage while Pastor Phil is doing a beautiful prayer or announcement, and someone comes up and slaps him? Probably not, and I don't encourage that either. But cancel culture is used... And for those of you who don't know what cancel culture is, it's to refer to a culture in which those who are deemed to have acted or spoken in an unacceptable manner are ostracized, boycotted, or shunned. And here's the thing with cancel culture. It makes it so easy for us to cancel people, right? We vilify them. We ostracize them from society. We compare them to our lives and go, isn't this crazy? how horrible these people are, we would never do that. I would never go on stage and slap someone, let alone do it in a private place. And it's especially easy when there's obvious monsters like Harvey Weinstein and others who've been accused and proven to do horrible and illegal things. Now, this is not to negate the actions or to encourage an uncancellation of bad people, but the main point isn't about how horrible they are. I think that's an obvious. It's so easy to point out the mistakes of others. I think the biggest thing about cancel culture and how it spreads like wildfire and how good it feels when we condemn others and and to pass an easy judgment on them. I think it's a human condition to say, I would never do that. I can't believe they did that. And we we are so good at passing these judgment onto others to feel good about ourselves. I mean, if you really want to feel good about yourself, you just turn on reality TV 
And after 10 minutes, you start to think, my life really is not that bad. <laughs> to be fair, we aren't wrong. I mean, I think we know that when we cancel these people, it's because our minds work in a very worldly way. We are worldly people, and that's just how things are. And throughout our lives, we tend to judge um, others, including our friends, our family members, Thanksgiving time, you know, you haven't seen an, a family member in a long time. And sometimes it's without justification, but sometimes it's with justification, and we judge them. Jesus wants us to challenge this worldly way of thinking. Because once condemnation and judgment has passed in our hearts and in our minds, what makes sense to us as worldly humans versus what makes sense in the kingdom of God doesn't always match. And so today we're turning to Luke chapter 19. And so I'm encouraging you guys to open up your Bibles, uh, your phones, whatever you have. And we're reading verse 1 to 10. We're reading about a man who was canceled by his community and for good reason. He was a traitor to his own people. And yet after meeting Jesus, everything changes for him. So let's read. Verse 1, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Now, many of us have heard the story of Zacchaeus. He was a short little man who was a wealthy chief tax collector who wanted to see Jesus, so he climbed a tree. And it's honestly quite resourceful because if you're short and you can't see, which, you know, I'm at the grocery store, I can't see, I like literally climb the grocery store shelves. Um, but that's also why he's known as a wee little man. And I saw this meme recently. I don't know if you guys can show it. And it's really funny to me. It says, imagine Jesus coming to your house and you have this great conversation. You give away half of your money. You make amends. He blesses you. And then you're immortalized in one of the catchiest songs in human history as a wee little man. It's pretty funny. And I think it captures most of it pretty well. But there's a lot more depth to it than what meets the eye, and maybe what we've learned as kids. So an audience in the ancient world who would read this scripture would immediately see chief tax collector as chief sinner and number one traitor. This person was the worst and most despicable thing. And during that time, the Romans ruled over the Jewish people. And they would make contracts with local people in order to collect taxes. In their historical context, these taxes are not similar to what we pay today as modern-day taxes, which normally pay for education, roads, and other public services. These taxes went directly to Rome, the occupying empire dominating Israel. So in other words, the Jewish people were paying their oppressors to oppress them. And as one commentator writes, Jews hated men like Zacchaeus. This is not only due to their natural dislike of taxes, because who doesn't dislike taxes, but more so because of the practice known as tax farming. So the collector would make his profit off of whatever extra he could get away with by overcharging his victims. 
a tax collector was highly motivated to make the taxes as high as possible. And so we read that Zacchaeus is a wealthy man, which means he is cheating a lot of people. And if you were a tax collector, you were rich. You were just basically known as a cheater of your own people. And you, you were just basically giving him money to pay for his new house. And that did not seem fair. The Jewish people had no other option but to pay. And tax collectors were actually backed by the Roman Empire, and they were always accompanied by Roman soldiers. So you could get taxed just walking down the road, and then they would bully you into tax, in the tax collection. Then later you could walk later down the road and get stopped by a different tax collector and still give them more money. And anyone who wanted to appeal to a judge was of no use because judges were also bribed. So let's see how the Jewish people treated tax collectors. As another commentator says, the only recourse that the Jewish people had was to ostracize these wicked people. In other words, they canceled them. The Babylonian Talmud placed tax collectors alongside murderers and robbers. The rabbis taught that tax collectors were disqualified witnesses in court, societal outcasts, and utter disgraces to their own family. The rabbis excommunicated tax collectors from the synagogue. The tax collectors weren't allowed to exchange their money at the temple treasury, and the rabbis even consider it lawful to lie in any conceivable way to avoid paying your taxes. Consequently, no one would want to take this job unless they were already a lowlife, a criminal, or a loser. And it would not surprise me if Zacchaeus' church and his own family disowned him. And maybe Zacchaeus was already a loser and decided, maybe I'll be a loser, but at least I'll have a lot of money. For whatever reason, he chose this career, and now everyone around him hated him. And it sounds like a really lonely life. And after learning about this, I believe that he has every reason to hate his community or to hate his church, because not a single person displayed kindness to him, not even his family. And that's why this story is so surprising in its historical context and culture. I mean, in other words, you could say that Zacchaeus was someone who was canceled by the Jewish society. He was the Will Smith of the 2022 Oscars. He was the Chrissy Teigen who cyberbullied in his time. He was a Kanye West who publicly said anti-Semitic statements. And part of cancel culture is necessary, as some people need to be held accountable for their words and their actions. And I'm not saying that we need to uncancel what they have said, but sometimes it can get to an extreme. We jump to cancel them, and we feel so good when we do because we think that we're better, because we'd never go on stage and slap someone. We would never cyberbully someone. We would never make anti-Semitic statements. And the Jewish people of the time would have loved to jump the chief tax collector and happily trample him in the crowd. And that's the hold that the people had on Zacchaeus.
Hey, I hope you've really enjoyed the first part of this sermon. These sort of productions do require some financial giving, and so if you'd like to take part in reaching more young adults across North America and even the world, would you consider giving on praxisministry.org? And there you can sign up and select Praxis Young Adults to be part of our giving campaign. Hope you enjoy the rest of this sermon. So let's continue reading in verse 5. Luke 19, verse 5. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Now this is wild. Imagine with me, you're standing in a crowd of people and you hear that Jesus, Savior of the world, has come to your hometown. And Jesus is a big deal. He's the Messiah. He's God in living flesh who is coming to reverse all injustices and oppression from your people. You've heard stories of the brilliant things that he has said. You've watched him heal people from afar. And now you're hearing that this man will come to your hometown and he will eradicate the Roman Empire. And now, at this very moment, he is walking towards you. And he stops. And he's five feet away from you. And you're so excited because you're like, I'm going to invite him over for lunch. I'm going to ask him so many questions about life. And you can't wait. But you're also in this crowd and everyone in your hometown is there. You're surrounded by people that you've known your whole life, people that you're nice to in person, but maybe you've canceled them in your heart. There's that one guy over there who's cheated on his wife like seven times, and you know all about their history. And there's that friend that lied straight to your face, and you know it. And that guy over there, he's a traitor to to my people. And there's that other person who lives a different lifestyle that I don't agree with. And there's that other person over there who's not even a believer of God. And you've made quick judgments about who they are, and you've canceled all of them in your heart. And then Jesus comes over. But instead of coming up to you and seeing the excitement in your eyes, he goes up to a tree and looks up at the person that you silently canceled in your heart and invite them to a meal to eat together. Like, what are you doing, Jesus? This person is a traitor to our own people. He is the chief sinner. And that person doesn't do anything I agree with. They've never even come to church. And I'm right here. I've been reading the Bible every day. I serve at Praxis. I give my life to this church. What is happening? And instead of looking at you, Jesus walks up to this despicable person and says, Zacchaeus, I'm going to call you by name. I want to be your friend. I want to be associated with you. And I want to be a guest in your home. How would that make you feel? Unfair, right? And we read that Zacchaeus comes down from the tree at once and welcomes Jesus gladly, and poof, off, they're gone. Ugh, annoying. They've gone to enjoy a whole meal together, which at the time takes hours to prepare. And meanwhile, you're sitting there in the crowd with everyone else, 
and you are stewing because something does not feel right. In fact, it feels completely wrong. And you're telling yourself, I know I've been faithful and I know what they did and I know how horrible that person is and I saw what they've done. And if I know this, surely God knows this as well. And don't I deserve a meal with God? And so let's keep reading. Luke 19, verse 7, all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and I have cheated anybody out of anything. I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham, for the son of man has come to seek and to save the lost. Did you see what just happened there? Jesus didn't call Zacchaeus a sinner. Jesus did not condemn what Zacchaeus had done. That's what the crowd did. They grumbled, they complained, they stomped their feet. They were like, Jesus is associating himself with the worst person ever and he's a loser. And that's kind of what we do, isn't it? Because our hearts are so quick to judge and to cancel. And once condemnation and judgment has passed through our hearts and our minds, what makes sense to us as worldly humans does not always make sense to what God's kingdom says. I wonder how often we normalize this in our lives. I know personally when I left the church in my early 20s, I lived my life in a way that was not compatible to what a lot of Adventists did on Friday nights or on Saturdays. But over time, I realized that I missed having God in my life. And I didn't know where to start. I didn't know what to do, but I knew I, knew I wanted to eventually go back to the church and build my relationship with God again and to serve his people. And the sad thing is I was too afraid to come back to an Adventist church. So you know what I did? I went to a Sunday church because I knew how kind they were. I knew how judgmental Adventists are or can be, and I was afraid of that judgment. I had to build courage and strength and understanding my identity in Christ before I could come back to the Adventist church. And I had to know how Jesus saw me first and find safety in my identity with him before I could go back to that crowd over there. But isn't that so sad? Because I would wonder sometimes today, do we do this now? Do we look at people and we say, oh, I know what they've done? I wonder if people even looked at me at times and said, do you know what she's done? She can't lead Bible studies. Why is she a pastor? I, she can't be a pastor. She hasn't even been here for a long time. And I wonder, who is the person that you've silently canceled in your heart? Jesus moved to convict, but never to condemn. Not in my life, nor in Zacchaeus' life. And in fact, Jesus treated Zacchaeus as an equal. And he led Zacchaeus with generosity, with kindness and understanding. He led him with equality. And he calls Zacchaeus a son of Abraham. Other translations say a true son of Abraham. 
Jesus is essentially reversing what the Jewish people have lorded over Zacchaeus' life. Tax collectors had no place in the synagogue. And since Zacchaeus was so hated by his fellow Jews, they were probably often said that he wasn't even a real Jew. Jesus wanted everyone to know that Zacchaeus was really a son of Abraham, both by genetics and by faith, because he really joyfully received Jesus. Now, if you look in Matthew 1.1, Matthew 1.1, it says, This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, what did Jesus call Zacchaeus? The son of Abraham. Jesus sees equal significance before God, and that is huge. Timothy Keller says in his article, Biblical Justice, that Jesus shocked the social sensibilities of the day by receiving and treating all classes of people with equal love and respect. And upon meeting Jesus, we see that Zacchaeus' heart immediately changes. Now, it doesn't mean that his habits immediately revert as well, but we do see a change in heart, resulting in a change in action. He recognizes that he has the undeniable love of God, who sees him for who he is, and recognizing this, he says, look, I want to make restitution. I've met God in the flesh, and I'm forever changed. I've been seen. I'm loved. I've I've been forgiven. And out of response to this outflow of love, I want to give back. And I want to make things right. And I want to serve my community. And give back, he did. We read that Zacchaeus wants to give back four times the amount. And that's pretty specific because in ancient biblical times, in Leviticus 6, 2 to 5, the law required restitution of the overcharge plus a 20% penalty. And Zacchaeus went above and beyond. So imagine you take $100 from someone and you like snatch it away from them and you run away really fast. According to the law, you would have to return the $100 plus a one-fifth or 20% extra charge. So that'd be a total of $120. But Zacchaeus, out of the outflow of love from God, says he'll return four times that amount, which would have been $400 to the ones that he had cheated them from. His change of heart, his action shows that he wants to restore what's been broken. He wants to live justly and serve others above and beyond. And that, my friends, is a God thing. Because only God can transform hearts. Zacchaeus cheated people unfairly, maybe because life cheated him unfairly. Yet when Zacchaeus met Jesus, he experienced a merciful, just, and perfect love. And he decided to undo his injustices to make things right again. And no one asked him to do it. And I think that's the point. Because scholars predicted that priests of their time would often condemn all the tax collectors, probably including Zacchaeus, to, hey, give to the poor, give to the poor. But... When Jesus sought out Zacchaeus and spent time together, Zacchaeus had an inside-out transformation. Something changed in his heart, and he acted on it in order to restore his standing with his community. I believe that love for Jesus can motivate us for greater things than legalism or guilt or manipulation ever will. 
And we have our ministries, and we have to start our ministries and our churches and our communities and our spaces with the love of Christ first and foremost. Because when we start with God's love, it overflows into every crevice of our lives. And we become generous in giving of ourselves, and we begin to see the people that Jesus sees that we cannot see at times. I see myself in Zacchaeus, someone who could have been easily canceled in my context. And yet when I returned to the Adventist church, I was actually given small tasks to do. I was really excited to get back into the church. And slowly God worked on my heart. And he transformed my life from the inside out. And people sought me out and guided me. Like Pastor Andreas Bakai up in Seattle, he encouraged me to become a leader in our community when I didn't believe that I could. And here in Loma Linda, Pastor Phil sought me out and guided me and encouraged me to take my role as an intern pastor when I didn't think that I could. And that's why I'm here today. Because others accepted me. Others believed in me and others uplifted me. Rather than condemning me for what I've done, they sought me out and saw me as someone who could be accepted and a part of a greater kingdom. And that is God's love right there. But I also see myself as the crowd, someone who can easily cancel someone else who thinks or acts differently than I do. And yet when we look at God, we have all been canceled by our sins. And in our condemnation of others, we puff ourselves up. But in reality, we're just as bad as anyone else. And if we can recognize that, we can do what Jesus did. It wasn't enough to simply just say, hey, I accept you, but to actually seek others out and include them in the kingdom work. In 1 Peter 2, 9 to 10, there's this beautiful there's this beautiful verse I want to read to you, and it's in the message version. It says, But you are the ones chosen by God, chosen for the high calling of priestly work, chosen to be a holy people, God's instruments to do his work and speak out for him, to tell others of the night and day difference he made for you, from nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. Where have you been quick to judge and to condemn? And rather than having the human instinct to judge and cancel others and our hearts, we should be quick to seek out with love and understanding. The message that Jesus shows us is that the gospel is big enough and inclusive enough for everyone. Zacchaeus was once rejected in his position with society, and now he is powerful in his standing with Christ. And God's redemptive love is inclusive and big enough for all. And as God's people, as his disciples and followers, we are called to lead, lead with love and to be kind, to reach out to others who aren't like us, to include the ones that we've silently canceled in our hearts and in our minds. Not the ones on mainstream media, that's not what I'm talking about, but the ones here in our community, the ones in our workplaces, the ones on the streets, the ones in the classrooms and in the hospitals and our churches, because we are all human. And at the end of the day, we deserve to be canceled by God. And yet he generously calls us as his own. 
sons and daughters of Abraham, just as he did with Zacchaeus. So what does that look like for you? Only you know. And ask God, my hope is that you can ask God to give you the eyes to seek those who are different, to walk with them, to empower them, and to love them. It is not easy, but as followers and disciples of Jesus, it is what we are called to do. At this time, my amazing husband and my kind of sister-in-law, Janelle, are going to lead in a really beautiful song. And I want you guys to stay seated. And instead of trying to sing along, which you absolutely can, I want you to meditate on the words, especially in the eyes of knowing the story of Zacchaeus, and to dwell on those words as it pertains to this song. My encouragement for you is to remember the overabundance in our lives. I know that we just celebrated Thanksgiving, but I want you to remember that God has provided time and time again. And out of his love and his mercies, we can do the same as well. Thank you. Hey, I'm so glad that you listened to the Night Church podcast sermon today. I know that God is going to do great things in your life. Whatever you felt and heard from the Lord through this sermon, I hope that you would share this with someone that you love and care about and that you would consider even joining us one Friday evening. Blessings to you and hope you get to listen to the next one coming up soon.